How many know we're living in a, in a time in between? So that's what's on my heart as a pastor. That first paragraph there on your sheet, uh, it says our world, and I read this last week, our world's rapidly changing. World events are quickly moving towards the second coming of Christ. This time period is best described as a chaotic time where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That's from Hebrews 12. Jesus' return will unseat his enemies, and this will produce unparalleled challenge in several realms, geophysically with earthquakes, volcanoes, uh, atmospherically with the magnetic pole shifting. Scientists are talking about that, which changes the jet stream, producing unprecedented weather changes uh, worldwide in all kinds of ways, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, economically, politically, all kinds of challenges as Satan seeks to hold uh, onto his power on earth on the sheet. What I did, all of those things I just said, the references I got that from, I put them up in that paragraph. And, uh, well, I did on my notes. They're not on yours. Nonetheless, everything that I just shared, the scripture references are right there. I'm not taking time to read that tonight. But God gave me four things that uh, we need to be doing to prepare for our future. Us Americans have uh, an uncanny ability, just to think about it here and now, and not prepare well for the future. God wants us to be ready for every eventuality. And a lot of people are living like everything's just wonderful and hunky-dory. But y'all, we're in the middle of a huge change worldwide. And Jesus is about to come back. And it's going to be a volatile time. And, but we don't need to be afraid of it. God's already made preparation for us. Uh, you know, when, uh, <clears throat> when God sent the plagues on the Egyptians as the Israelites were set free from Egypt through uh, the miraculous signs through Moses' hands, God had already made a way for the Israelites to be protected in the land of Goshen. And how many know spiritually we live in the land of Goshen? God's promised to take care of us regardless of, regardless of what happens worldwide and watch over us. But we need to be wise with ourselves and make some preparation. How many hear what I'm saying? So, you know, when I go on a trip, I make preparations for the trip. I'm going to Nicaragua next week. So, you know, I've made spiritual preparations. I've prayed. I've got my notes. Uh, I make physical preparations. There are certain things I have to take with me. I have to make financial preparations. It takes, uh, it takes finances to do what I do there. We're going to several cities there next Monday. And so, you know, I make preparations. So that, that's the way it is in every area of life. And in my heart, I feel like now is the time we need to be making preparations. Here are four things that will prepare you for the future. I started here last Wednesday, so I'm not going to cover much ground on number one. Assert your spiritual authority in Christ. How many know you have authority over the devil? Jesus has given you authority. If you're a person like me when you were young and you were afraid of the demonic realm, you were afraid even that you hardly use the name devil, Satan, you're afraid to even speak it, that he might hear you and then come and attack you. You don't have to be afraid of him. I mean, listen, I, ne I, I, I watched enough uh, scary movies when I was a kid. When I came to Jesus, I thought the devil, man, I thought he could, he had all kinds of authority and power and just whip you anytime he wants to. Well, the truth is we live in a fallen world. He can't attack, but Jesus has given him us authority over him. That's the good news. If you're not grounded in that, and listen, if there's still a seed of fear in you, that's why I've got these scriptures written down. I've taken these over decades and decades of time. I've been in Jesus over 43 years. I've meditated on these scriptures, and particularly Colossians 2.15. I've given you so many uh, uh, different translations here. I've meditated on all those translations. I'll talk about meditation in a minute. It will unseat fear because God's not given us a spirit of fear. How many hear me? And when fear comes up in your life and 
The devil tells you something bad's going to happen to you, your family, your children, your spouse, your future, and makes you feel like, oh my God, nothing ever works out for me. You need to get after him and tell him to get out of your life in Jesus' name. Anytime fear speaks into your mind, what if, how do you know, what do you think, those kinds of those kinds of sentences that start with that, it's usually the demonic realm interjecting things into your thought life, and we need to resist those things in Jesus' name. Don't be a passive believer. If you're a passive believer today, how many know you could fail and fail miserably? Because Satan's on the he's on the offense, not the defense, and he's looking, he's looking to make inroads anywhere and everywhere he can because he has this this uncanny lie in his mind that he can supersede God and overcome the world. How many know he's already defeated as far as God is concerned? And we're going to watch his defeat one of these days. Luke 10, 17 through 19, the 70 returned with joy. Jesus sent them out to minister in his name. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then verse 19, Luke 10, it's on the sheet. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. How many know that belongs to you today? Serpents and scorpions talk about demons and evil spirits. We have authority over the devil and you can exercise that authority in Jesus' name. I've, I've ministered in many nations of the world and I've seen demon power hit the ground in America, in all these other nations, everywhere. Everywhere you go with the power of God in the name of Jesus, he's got to bow. How many hear me? Matthew 18, 18, I love this amplified classic, says this, Truly I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. A lot of people don't realize that God has given us authority over Satan. Some people think God does everything. Some people think that God runs everything overarchingly and overall. Yes, he does. He's the God of the universe. But when God created the earth, he gave human beings authority over this earth. Uh, God gave Adam and Eve an authority over this planet. He told, he told them to subdue it, take care of it, watch over it. They were his under rulers. God gave Adam and Eve and in them, the human race, authority over this earth when they were first created. But when Adam obeyed the devil instead of God, he gave away that God-given authority and it was given to God's arch enemy, Satan. He became the God of this age, as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. He's got a legal right to be here. And so Adam gave the human race's authority that they had over this world, gave it over to God's arch enemy, Satan. That's the reason that Jesus said the thief doesn't come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundant. There is a thief let loose, and he's always wanting to steal from anybody that will open their the door of their life and let him steal. And that's why we have authority. And I need to emphasize this again. Some people think it's God's job to rebuke the devil from you, for you. If you don't do it, he won't. A lot of people think, well, I'm in God's hands. Everything that comes in my life comes through God's hands. Well, you know, uh, you know, he has to allow what you allow. Choose you this day. I mean, he said to his old covenant people, Deuteronomy 30, 19, choose you this day uh, whom you'll serve. Life, death, blessing, cursing. You choose life. 
that you and your seed may live. Jesus gave us authority to use his name on the earth. How many hear me? And if we don't use it, sometimes his hands are tied and he can't do what he wants to do in our lives. Sometimes God literally has to set to the side when he's given us authority, he's given a believer their right, his rights and their rights and privileges in Christ, given us the same authority that Jesus had when Jesus resurrected from the dead just before he had ascended up to heaven. He said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. He already had the authority before he went to the cross, after he went to the cross as the substitutionary man for our sins and was raised from the dead. You know what he did? He took that. He took the keys of hell and death from Satan. And he took the authority that that Adam gave away and took it back to himself. And then he gave it to the church. We have authority. And if you don't exercise your authority, God sometimes can do nothing. And I'm sure he's very sad sometimes when believers sit back, do nothing with their lives, do nothing with their faith, do nothing with asserting their rights and privileges. And then, and then the enemy comes and attacks. And, and because they won't do anything, God can't do anything. Isn't that sad? It happens that way more than you ever, ever realize. How many hear me? That's the reason Philippians 2 says, Therefore God elevated Jesus, giving him the place of highest honor, gave him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Angels, men, and demons have to bow to that name, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Satan and his, and his helpers, his emissaries, demonic forces, Demon spirits, they're looking for inroads into any life. We have authority. If you're not grounded in that, meditate on those scriptures. Please do that. And I talked about this last week, Number uh, last time. Number two, keep your thoughts clean. How many know your thought life determines what happens in your life? Martin Luther said this, mentioned it last week. You can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And so what is what he was saying was you can't keep thoughts from coming into your mind, but you don't have to think on every single thing that comes into your mind. How many hear me? Satan's attacks, in fact, begin with our thought life. Satan comes into every life with a road. Uh, if you're young or old, we need to hear this and hear it clearly today. There is so much information being bombarded, we're being bombarded with, every single day from so many different sources that it's possible that you're constantly thinking other thoughts that come into your mind. Some of them come from, you know, all kinds of entities and things worldwide. Uh, other thoughts come from the demonic realm. Other thoughts rise up from inside. You have thoughts that rise up from your spirit. We have thoughts that come uh, from the outside world, all the various organizations, peoples, and things that are around. And now all of the things that are constantly pushing information through the internet and through all of our little apps on our phones and all that. And uh, then there are also thoughts that come from the demonic realm. When I was a young kid, I was 18 when I came to Jesus, and I would hear people say, God said, God spoke. I heard God. I said, man, I want to hear God. I figured if you want to be successful in life, hear God's voice. And then people would say, the enemy said. I said, what's he sound like? So I, I went on a little personal journey of trying to figure out what was the voice of the Holy Spirit in me? How could I discern God's voice from within? When God speaks, it doesn't come out here, it comes up inside. 
It comes from your human spirit, where the Holy Spirit is in you as a believer. The enemy's voice doesn't come from inside. It comes from the outside. It comes in suggestions, auto-suggestions, all kinds of things. Again, often tempered, often started with, what if, how do you know, who said, an accusatory tone will come, or fear-based thinking comes. It's almost always the demonic realm that pushes those things. And every one of us have to deal with those kinds of thoughts every day. Yes or no? And if you don't push them out, they're not going to leave. They'll just keep coming back and they'll, they'll be exacerbated. That is, they'll be exaggerated. They'll keep on and on and on. And then those thoughts can become a stronghold of fear. And then that stronghold can produce can produce activity in your life that can ruin your life. And I have talked to people over the years and had to deal with it myself, people who had suggestions that just kept coming. Every day I have, I've had seasons of my life where in my formative years when I was in Bible school, when, a God, when I knew the call of God was on me, I mean, the devil did everything possible to ruin me, to make me think that I could never do what God called me to do. I've started churches, I've started ministries. When I came here 25 years ago, this month, I mean, the enemy did his best to discourage me, waylay me, get me to set myself aside, get me to think that God couldn't do what he said he would do. It's thoughts, 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 thoughts. And when you learn to control your thought life, that is the first step in overcoming the onslaught of fear that enemy brings your life. Yes or no? Ephesians 6, 11 says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds, the strategies or the schemes of the devil. Now, now there's more to that verse than most people ever, ever think. Put on the whole armor of God, he says. And why do you put armor on? Because something from without is seeking to attack you. The devil's not within, he's without. And he's coming from the outside in. And the road that he takes from the outside in is through your thoughts. It's through the mind. How do I know that? This verse tells you. Look at this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds. This is New King James Version. We don't use the word wilds today. Other translations, I've got it in, is it in parenthesis in your notes? Yeah. Uh, one translation says, um, able to stand against the strategies of the devil. Another Another translation says the, the uh, schemes of the devil. And, and here, I'm not going to take a lot of time with this, but down below that in my, on my iPad here, I have an olive tree Bible app. I've got dozens of translations, lots of Greek and Hebrew study aids and helps. And one of those is the Strong's uh, Dictionary. Strong's, Mr. Strong's probably a hundred years ago, uh, put, put an annotation or a a code, a word, a, a letter beside every Hebrew and Greek word uh, so that you could go to his book, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, and look up the original Greek or Hebrew word in the Bible. And so, you know, the, why do you need to do that? Because words have shades of meaning in the Greek language, the Hebrew language. The New Testament was written in Aramaic and Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the Septuagint, which was written probably 200 years before Christ. It's the whole Bible in Greek. But nonetheless, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, if you'll get one, and you can find them digitally online, now, you can look up the meaning behind every word in the Bible. In fact, I've got a, 
I've got a Strong's Exhaustive Bible, New King James, and every single word is annotated. And I click on the little code, the number, the, the number corresponding to the word, and it shows me the Greek. Why do you need to do that? Because there are things in the Greek language. Greek words are different than English. We say one word and it means 15 things. Well, the, and it's the same way in the Greek language. Words are very expressive and they have shades of meaning. So this word strategies, wiles, it comes from the Greek word. If you look down in my notes there, I've highlighted and bolded the word methodia. Everybody say methodia. Well, that's a compound word from the word meta, which means with or alongside or, you know, it's a, it's a, a preposition of, of location. Uh, and then it says uh, oidos. And uh, the word oidos literally means a road. We get our word odometer from that. So metho, uh, um, methodia, methodia is the Greek word that means Satan comes with a road. So it's traveled strategies. I translated strategies, translated wilds, translated schemes. But the underlying idea is he's coming down a pathway to come into a person's life. That's a strategy. How many understand that? He's looking for an inroad into a human being's life. And that inroad is the thought life. So listen, if you can grasp your thought life and control what you think, then you can keep the devil in a large way out of your life. Yes or no? Question, what do you do with your thoughts? Uh, it's down lower in my notes, but you know what the devil has done? He's, I, 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 these are ingenious inventions with quantum physics. We have apps. And you know what I've noticed? I was riding my bike yesterday on the Noose River Trail. People are walking and all they're doing, they're glued to that phone. People are riding their bikes, glued to the phone. People are driving on 440 and 40, they're glued to their phone. People are walking around the mall, glued to their phone. People are in Walmart and Target, glued to their phone. People are getting gas, they're glued to their phone. People are taking a break at work and they're glued to their phone. You know what? You know what the devil's doing with that? He's got so much information at our fingertips. What he's wanting to do is to bombard our minds with so many things from without that we never think for ourselves. Yes or no? So you need some time every day. You throw this, put this thing, turn this thing off. And you put the stuff away and you get with God. And even if you're doing this, there's some things that we don't need to see and we don't need to hear. How many hear me? And uh, it's, it's a problem. Nonetheless, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. The apostle Peter said, and then verse 8 is really insightful. Now, I've preached on this so many times here, but I, I need to do it again. Be sober. Everybody say sober. Now, when you think of the word sober, you think of a person who's drinking some kind of an alcoholic content beverage, and they're a little tipsy, and, uh, and then they get drunk. So, so a person that's drunk, they say things they wouldn't say. They act in ways they normally wouldn't act. Yes or no? They do things they normally wouldn't do. Is that true? They act out of character. Now, this word, be sober, he's not talking about physically. The Greek word there, the Greek word there has reference to the human mind. It literally could read this way. Be free from mental intoxication. Isn't that interesting? Now, what is mental intoxication? The above verse, casting all your care, your worry upon him. Because he cares for you. That word care, casting all your care on him. 
the word literally means in the Greek language to be distracted. That is, your mind is going here, it's going here, it's going here. You're constantly distracted. You ever been distracted? You got thoughts that come and you can't, rem you can't concentrate on anything. You've got this back thought. Maybe you've gotten some bad news, you know, about your finances or bad news about a child or some bad news in your life. And, it's like, and so you're trying to carry on the conversation to smile. But in the background, your brain's going, remember what you just heard? And you're trying to process that behind, and you don't concentrate on anything. You're distracted, right? That's the word, be sober. Be mentally self-controlled. Watch what you're thinking. Be free from mental intoxication. Watch what you're thinking. Be vigilant or ever on your guard or watchful. Some translations there. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Now, he's not a roaring lion. But he's like a roaring lion. If I, I've been to Africa, I've been on a safari, and I've heard a lion roar, and it's really deep, guttural, and it will get your attention. And you'll look at that big beast, and he, as he comes walking by your vehicle, as he has mine in past times. And you'll, run, you'll look at that big head and that big mouth and those big, gnarly teeth, and you say, Lord. Well, the devil does the same thing. He roars like a roaring lion, walks like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What is he looking for? He's looking for an inroad into a human life. He's looking for someone to let their mental barrier down that will allow him to interject thoughts in their mind so that he can form a strategy of deceiving and then eventually defeating that person through fear. Yes or no? What's happening? And so Peter says here, resist him, verse 9, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 2 Corinthians 2.11 follows the same vein of thinking. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Everybody say devices. Again, in the Strong's Exhaustive uh, Dictionary, that word devices is the Greek word noema. The Greek word noose is literally the word mind. Noema is a derivative of news. He's talking about the mind. One guy translated this, we're not ignorant of his mind games. How many have had some mind games Satan's tried to play with you today? And if you'll pick it up and start playing the game, and let me just tell you, I heard Kenneth Hagin say this many years ago when I was a young boy. He said, if Satan can keep you in the arena of thought, he will whip you and whip you badly. But if you can keep him in the arena of faith, you will overcome him in every test and in every battle. Is that good news? How do you keep him in the arena of faith? When wrong thoughts come, when negative thoughts come, when things come that tell you you're not going to make it, that you're going to fail in whatever vein of life, you speak out loud with your mouth what God says about you. When Jesus was tempted in his wilderness temptations in Matthew chapter 4, over and over again, Satan came to tempt him, turn the stone to bread. It is written, set yourself on the pinnacle of the temple, you know, and throw yourself down. It is written, it is written, it is written. Every time Satan came with the temptation, Jesus answered, answered out of his mouth with verses scripture it is written what defeats those taunting voices that come to your head the word there's power in the word of god it's funny to me that churches will hardly preach the word today and it's another design and scheme of the enemy 
to keep us away from the very things that give us power and authority over the enemy that wants to, wants to mess with us. How many hear me? And so we are not ignorant of his devices, his schemings of the mind, his thought processes that come. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, in fact, skip that one and look at 2 Corinthians 10. Really good. This is New King James. Though we're human, we walk in the flesh. We don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, fortresses of thought. That is thoughts that come and they build themselves up and they make things look bigger than they really are. Satan has an uncanny ability to make a, 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 a small golf ball sized problem like a huge mountain. A huge boulder, and that's the re and that's why. So he says here, uh, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments. That word arguments really means lists created in the mind. This, 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 this reasons that things aren't working. Reasons that things are happening this way, this way, this way. Some translations even translate that word arguments imaginations. We often think in picture form. And Satan has an uncanny ability. If you get a pain in your body, he paints a picture. You've got a dreaded disease that you'll never overcome. Or even that if the doctor says, well, this is happening and this is going to happen to you. You've got this problem. You've got this disease. And the devil will tell you, you're sunk. Your ship is sunk. Your life will never be the same. Don't buy it. Don't settle for it. How many hear me? You've got to pull down the stronghold. Then he says, casting down these arguments imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? Any thought process that comes that makes you think that you're not going to make it in life in some way and produces fear in whatever realm of life that you're facing a challenge in, that is a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, how many know you can pull it down? And so he says, um, bringing every thought into captivity um, until it acknowledges, um, it acknowledges Christ. So again, uh, we have to deal with our thought life. And, the, you know, some people years ago, back 30 years ago, there was, a, there was a time in the church world people would wear army fatigues. It was really weird. And, and spiritual warfare was caught on a lot. This is like late 80s, early 90s. And people say, well, we'll fight the devil, you know. Well, you know, they had it all wrong. It's not a battle out here somewhere. Spiritual warfare really is between your ears. It's thought processes that come. And Satan tries to convince you that what is not true is true. And my friends, the same thing is going on worldwide today. How many hear that? A lot of the media sources today, the things they say, it's not true. It's propaganda. How many hear me? A lot of the things you hear, it's auto-suggestions. People saying things over and over and over to get you to believe a thing is a certain way. And it takes discernment to know false from true. That's the reason Jesus said before he comes back, the, number, the first thing he said, beware that no man deceive you. Thought processes come that try to enslave the masses of people. Satan comes to our individual life with thought processes that we have to pull down. How many hear me? Lastly, Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, honest, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, think on these things, meditate on these things. I call that the Christian think list. When I was a young believer, 
before we had these phones and all this digital stuff. I got a note card, and I put those, I put those seven things on there. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, praiseworthy. I put it on, and I put Philippians 4.8. I wrote it out and then wrote those words out where I could see them quickly every once in a while. I'd pull it out of my pocket, and I'd look at it, and I'd think about what I've been thinking the last couple of hours. And if it wasn't true, if it wasn't honest, if it wasn't fair, if it wasn't pure, if it wasn't positive, or worthy of praise, I'd chunk it out. And a lot of us today need to start practicing this again. Let me say it again. Until you control your thought life, you will never be a strong believer. Yes or no? Phew. Number three, this comes right on the heels of it. Meditate in Scripture to keep your faith strong. Again, if I can hold up the phone again, here's a big problem today. Most people never do any deep thinking. You know, if you, I love English. I aced English all the way through school. I love literature and all that. I'm good with words. I'm a words, I love words. Words come natural to me. That's just God gift, God gift. I love words. If you go back and read writings from even just a hundred years ago, our culture today in America is completely dumbed down. Did you know that most, most writing that you read anywhere it, consumed by the general public is fifth grade or less level? You know why? Because we never think deeply. We don't develop ourselves. How many hear me? And if you don't take time to meditate, you're not thinking deeply enough to get the Word of God from your head to your heart. Now here's what I know. We got a lot, of, a lot of great tools, a lot of things to help us read through the Bible every year. We've got a lot of information on podcasts. I actually love all this stuff. We got information at a fingertip. There's so much information now, which is awesome. And I, uh, I love to speed read things. I read a lot of stuff. But don't just read. If all you do is read through your Bible in a year and you don't meditate, it's not getting in your heart. Meditation drops the word from your head about a foot and a half to your spirit. And when the word of God gets inside me and you, it changes how we think, how we speak, and how we live. Yes or no? So Satan's got an ingenious tool here. He can keep you looking at Facebook all day. Huh? He can keep you looking online all day long, looking at the news, looking at all kinds of articles, looking at this that app and that app, looking at videos on YouTube. Uh, if, if that's all you're doing, you are not a deep thinker and you will never progress spiritually. Yes or no? Wow. So meditate. Uh, Ephesians 6, 16, above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. A key to that is meditation. Let me read a few scripture, talk about how to meditate, and then I'll make my last point. Y'all give me five more minutes. I'd like to be done at eight, but I'm never, I'm never done at eight. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, God said to Joshua, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, then you'll have good success. This verse gives you some real keys to meditation and what it does. Look at it. 
This book of the law. What is the book of the law? The Word. They only had the Old Testament, basically the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, most of them written by Moses, and that was the Torah, the law. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from where? So meditation and words speaking go hand in hand. He said, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Meditate in what? Meditate in the word day and night. Why? That you may observe to do. So here's the problem we have. We have the opportunity to hear a lot of word today from lots of sources. That doesn't mean that you're practicing what you hear. Yes or no? So if I know a lot, but I do a little, that means I have a lot in my head, but little in my heart. The more the word dominates me in, inside, the more it changes my behavior, it changes my conduct, it changes my speech, it changes how I live life, it changes what I value, it changes what I do with my spare time. Yes or no? So meditation is a key, and most people today don't meditate. So let's talk about meditation again. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. How does the Word dwell in you richly? Meditation is the key. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates how often? He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. What's, what's the scenery there? Here's a tree. Maybe it's a drought season. Maybe it hasn't rained like it has in this area for a long time. I've been riding my bike by the Noose River. It was down to bare bones for weeks now. Just rained today and yesterday, but... You know, but a tree planted by a river, its roots go down to where the water system is. When you meditate, what is it saying? I don't care what the circumstances, the situations you find yourself in. You can be bigger on the inside than the problems on the outside. And if we're not bigger on the inside than the problems we face on the outside, then that brings oppression, depression. It brings fear. It brings hardship. It brings all kinds of stuff. We've got to be bigger inside. How do you get bigger on the inside? Smith Wigglesworth, an English evangelist of yesteryear, uh, in his books he said, I'm 10,000 times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. What was he saying? He took time to meditate and build his spirit nature up on the word. Proverbs 7, 1, my son, keep my words, treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. How do you write the word on your heart? Meditation. Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all your day, all my days. Uh, um, yeah, all the day. And then uh, verse 98. Uh, you through your commands make me wiser than my enemies for their ever with me, I have more understanding than my teachers. Your testimonies are my meditation. So I've got a Hebrew word here for to meditate. I've got all these words here again from uh, the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And this is from the Hebrew. Let me summarize that real quickly. 
to speak, to mutter, to mouth, to say, to speak uh, underneath your breath, to let something cogitate or roll over and over in your mind. My mother used to tell me as a little boy, Mitch, you eat too fast, and I still do. So they say, you need to chew your food up. The doctor would say, masticate. Chew your food. Let it mix with the saliva in your mouth and it'll digest better. So you're masticating, you're chewing up the word when you meditate on it. Otherwise, it's not going anywhere but staying in the head. How many hear me? So how do you meditate? You take a scripture and all you do is, is over and over, let it revolve over and 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 over in your mind. Now I do that every single day and have since I was a young boy. Listen to this. E.W. Kenyon has a book. He died in 1947-8. He was a man beyond his time, born in 1860. And I love his writings. Kenneth Hagin read after him a lot, I noticed. Um, I have all of E.W. Kenyon's books and have read them since I was a young man. But he had an excerpt about meditation that was really good. I read this when I was 18 years old. And y'all, it changed my life. And here it is. Here's the excerpt from the book, The Hidden Man. The most deeply, this is E.W. Kenyon speaking, most deeply spiritual men and women I know are people who have given much time to meditation. You cannot develop spiritual wisdom without meditation. And then he quotes Joshua 1.8. And then you'll have good success if you do that or deal wisely in the affairs of life. I'm not going to take time to read it, so we just read it. Then skip down and look there in the quote. Take time to meditate in the Word. Shut yourself in alone with your own spirit, where the clamor of the world is shut out. If you're ambitious to do something worthwhile, I would suggest that you take 10 or 15 minutes for meditation. Learn to do it. In other words, begin the development of your own spirit. Then he said, you may develop any gift you wish to. The most important gift that God has given to you is the spirit nature. It's the development of this spirit is going to mean more to you than any other thing. The great majority of men do not think. They live in the realm of the senses. I just talked about that. The senses have limitation. Your spirit has practically no limitation. You can develop your spirit life until you dominate circumstances. Your spirit has practically no limitations. You can develop your spirit until uh, you become a partaker of the divine nature. That spirit with God's nature in it can fellowship with God on terms of absolute equality with God himself. Do you see the limitless possibilities? Jesus brings you in contact with spiritual things, not mental things. Spiritual things are as real as physical things. Your spirit can come to the point where the things in his word will become as real to you and Jesus will become as real to you as any loved one. You can see the necessity taking time to meditate, to get quiet with the Lord. You must take time to sit with his word and let the Spirit unveil His Word to your spirit. If you will, you will know Him in reality. Now, y'all, if there's anything that changed my life over all these 40-something years of walking with God, every day 
I meditate. When I was a, a kid, before I even met Susan, I worked at a grocery store. I was going to school. And I, I uh, in fact, after we got married, even after we got married, when I, before we got married, I'd go to my car and eat lunch by myself because I needed some alone time. And I would take my Bible and I would take it out. And I would, I would get script, I would read and then I'd take one scripture and I would say it over and over and over and over and over. Satan hounded me with condemnation because of the past sins of my life. And I would get scriptures like Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, no adjudging guilty to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Or I would get scripture like 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he's made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that he might be, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I would meditate it over and over and over and over and over and over. And you know what it did? It kicked the inferiority. It kicked the condemnation. I had fear. Second Timothy 1, 7. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I would say it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And I would say out loud, God, God, I don't have fear. I have power. I have God's power. I have love. I, I don't have fear, I have love. I love you. And because you love me, you've defeated all my enemies for me. You've set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Meditate, meditate, meditate. If you'll meditate, what problems do you have? Are there financial problems? Are there circumstantial things coming against you and A and all these things? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Is the devil telling you you're going you're gonna to die when you're young with a long life? Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? For every fear that you have, there's an antidote in the Word. How many hear me? If you'll meditate in the Word, you get the Word in your heart, I'm telling you, it'll change who you are. Think more deeply than the Internet will allow you. Meditate. You read the word in the morning, take five minutes, start with, I dare you. Start the night before you go to bed, get one scripture, meditate in the scripture before you go to sleep. And now all these years later, I've got themes. I used to take books of the Bible that I memorized scripture in. And I take a book and I just go through, particularly the New Testament, Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Matthew, go through all the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And you know what? At night when I wake up, I don't count sheep. Why in the world you want to do something stupid? Who said that anyway? That's dumb. Why? No, I meditate on Scripture. I might start in the book of Romans. I, saw, I can quote just about the whole chapter of Romans. I just go through the whole thing, just meditate over and over and over. I got themes of faith, themes of healing, themes of God meeting your needs, themes of helping us overcome in the affairs of life. Just Scripture after Scripture after. If you meditate on the Word, you'll memorize it. Yes or no? Smartest thing you'll ever do is memorize scripture because the devil can't take it away from you. You wake up at night, meditate. You're on 440, you're on 40, you're going to work. Somebody, somebody's always having an accident. Well, I got to, oh no, I'm going to be late. Well, meditate on the word while you're sitting there waiting on traffic to go, right? Meditate, meditate. Med you're getting gas. Take, take a few minutes there while the gas is going in your tank. Meditate the word. You know what I found out? If you meditate the word, my default is the word. When I'm not doing something with my mind, I'm not thinking about my job, thinking about my responsibilities, I'm not thinking about anything else, I put the Word in my mind. If I'm, if I'm cutting my grass, I'll meditate the Word. When I'm riding my bike on the Noose River Trail, sometimes for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, I'm meditating 
in the word. What does it do? It builds you up. And when you get big on the outside, inside, something's going to happen on the outside. When you get big in God on the inside, there's no devil in hell that can feed you on the inside. How many here outside? How many hear me? Y'all, this is the most important thing you're going to hear today, probably this week or this year. Lastly, lastly, and I'll stop and let you read my notes. Stir up your prayer life. Samuel Chadwick of yesteryear said Satan fears nothing from prayerless studies, teaching, preaching. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. I've got a lot of stuff here on prayer in the notes. I wrote this down on purpose so you can go home and read them. Prayer is like learning to ride a bicycle or drive a car. You can talk all day to somebody about how to balance yourself on a bike. But you ain't going to ride it till you get on the seat and somebody pushes you and you're going to fall a few times. The same way with driving a car. You're not going to drive a car well till you get behind the wheel and you feel that thing and you learn to put your feet on the pedals that make it go and stop and you learn how to change the gears and do all the things you need to do. Then you'll learn to drive. And then prayer the same way. You know, you're faulting, stumbling, halting, you know, to begin with. But when you learn how to pray, you know, Satan will learn to fear you because you won't be afraid of anything. How many hear me? Develop your prayer life. I don't have time to go through all this tonight. That's why I wanted this in your hand. There are a lot of scriptures in this outline you could meditate on. I dare you tonight to take some time and meditate before you go to bed. When you get up in the morning, I don't care what you're doing to read, take at least five minutes, and then develop it past that. Five minutes to meditate. That is, let a scripture go over and over and over and over.